Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. There's a lot in here. There's a few things I want to point out tonight. Um, first off, just I love how God does stuff like this. I mean, here is Saul. He's, his heart is filled with anger towards God's people. He's breathing threats and murder, and he gets permission. Uh, he gets a documentation so he can come and tear up the church, destroy it. It says, um, verse 2, that uh, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He was willing to break up their families. He saw them as a threat uh, to, he saw them as heretics. And he wanted to destroy them. And uh, notice also here, this, the, the church early on was called the way. And so it's, it's emphasizing that there's a way of life. Right? It's not just doctrine, but there's a walk. Right? We talk about our, our, uh, our salvation in Christ sometimes as a walk with God. But he wants to destroy uh, the way. And then he's traveling and suddenly, and we find out elsewhere in Acts, this, this is told three times. His uh, conversion story is written down three times. We told elsewhere this was in the middle of the day. And so this light from heaven is so bright that it just knocks him down. Um, he just falls in fear. And, uh, and he hears this voice. Saul, Saul. And I should remind you of Martha, Martha. Or Jerusalem, Jerusalem. A lot of times when Jesus is demonstrating how much he cares for someone in the, in the New Testament, you'll, you'll see him repeat their name over and over again, right? So Saul, Saul. He's very loving. He's putting him in his place. But he says, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Now, had Saul persecuted Jesus directly? Did he nail him to the cross? I mean, so much as he was belonged to the Jewish nation. So in that sense, yes. But the first thing I want you to see here is the incredible close relationship between Christ and his body. So when you persecute the church, you are persecuting Jesus. That's what Saul had been doing. He'd been ravaging the church. And, uh, and we see this in Matthew 25. I mentioned it in Sunday school um, for the guys here that are truly spiritual. Um, no, I think most of you are there, actually. Um, well, the least of these, uh, remember, Jesus says, whenever you visit a brother in jail, so forth, you are, you're loving me. And he makes it very clear that they're brothers. And that's why you're loving Jesus, because it's part of his body. Jesus is the head. And we're his body. And so to persecute the church is to attack Jesus. To love the church is to love Jesus. And that's a huge thing we have to get across in a day and age where everyone's individualistic. Where everyone thinks they can have, um, you know, their religion at home and be very private about it. But, um, But no, no, you will love the church if you love Jesus. And if you hate the church, you are hating Jesus. 
And one of the things that should stand out to you as I read this is how Paul quickly wants to identify with the church. Quickly, he's with other, other disciples. I mean, it's kind of comical when he goes to Jerusalem. He's like trying to go to Bible study. And he shows up and people are like, say what? And they leave, <laughs> right? I know who that guy is. They don't really, they think maybe he's undercover. Um, they just don't trust him. But he's trying to associate with the brothers, with the church right away. And uh, so this is one area. If you want to show people how much, uh, how important church is, you're trying to convince your, your friends that kind of have that Lone Ranger Christianity going on, you can come to passages like this or Matthew 25 and show them how closely Jesus identifies with his people, especially his people when they, they gather together corporately, right, as a body. That's what that means. Uh, so love the church. Children, children, children. You need to love the church, especially when you go to college or you, and when you move out of your parents' house. Don't let people swallow you up into their lives. Love the church. No matter if you have questions or doubts or bumpy, stay in the church. Find a good church. You want to finish this race well? I have seen very many people start well, be given all the benefits that you have. Your children have great benefits in this church. Your parents love you. Uh, your elders love you. The deacons love you. They teach you. We train you. Don't, don't throw those things away. Stay in the church. There'll be times where you have doubts and you have struggles, and just be committed. I can think of a time where there was a real dark valley in my life, where I wasn't feeling much. I was kind of numb. It was when I first moved to Bloomington. I was just angry for like the whole first year out there. Um, But I never missed worship. I never stopped reading my Bible. And I found that God was very, very faithful to bring me through that time. And so keep those disciplines up. Jesus will take care of you. His people will take care of you. So that's the first thing. If you persecute the church, you persecute Jesus. If you love the church, you love Jesus. So then, um, then we have this whole part here in verse 10 with Ananias. And I love, first off, God speaking to Ananias in a vision. And they're like talking, which is just interesting to me. But he says, look, uh, there's this guy Saul. And Ananias is educating the Lord. And I think it's just because Ananias is like, wait a second. He's just really, he's in the moment there saying, I've heard about this guy. I've heard about how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And Paul brings it up. He brings it up uh, two or three times uh, later in scripture. Brings it up in Philippians chapter three, where he is, um, he's talking about his Jewish zeal. And he talks about how he was a persecutor of the church. It's something that sticks with them, something that... Um, I guess you could say he regrets or, or something that he knows that's shameful in his past. And, um, and so uh, he, he caused a lot of trouble. And, and, and I, like he has authority to break up your church, to, to bind them and pull them away. And this is what the Lord says. Go for he's chosen. My, he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Saul, God doesn't choose Saul because he's a smart guy. He was smart. He was the best of the best. But God chooses Saul, at least one reason. We don't know all God's purpose because it's beautiful. And it shows how, how God is powerful. And the enemy of the church like that can be changed by the work of the Holy Spirit. 
And then God will get the glory. And remember, later in this passage, isn't this the guy that was trying to destroy us? And now he's preaching about Jesus. He's trying to tear down the name. And now he's declaring he is the son of God. I mean, it's beautiful. Gives God glory. God loves to save people that we all think can't be saved. Here's reality. Uh, None of us can be saved in our own power. Like all of us are born in sin and equally distant from God in that we all need the uh, renewing work of the Holy Spirit. We all need to be born again. And um, some of us just stink a little more. Our rotting corpse, right? Or we smell worse, I suppose. But, um, but in terms, like in the, in the bottom line, everyone's basically the same. And one reason I think God cho- chooses him is uh, like he chooses all of us to show that he can take... And there's an old, there's an old joke that would probably get you kicked off social media these days. But uh, this guy asked this old uh, rabbi, um, why, why God put up with Israel, you know, rebelling time and time again? And the old rabbi said, because if God can love a Jew, he can love anyone, right? <laughs> but God can use anyone, and God takes. Uh, Abraham, this old guy, as good as dead, dust, right? And from him, he brings out a gigantic nation. So it's, we're always seeing the Lord do things like this. So first off, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope for your non-Christian family members, your non-Christian friends. No one is beyond the gospel. You just keep preaching. All you do is you deliver the message, and we see what God does. And the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. And you're not responsible for the outcome. All you're responsible to do is, uh, is confess his name before men. And then you just have to let him fall. That's one of the great privileges of Calvinism. It, it, it emboldens you to preach. Because I remember in Arminianism, uh, the churches I grew up in, you just feel like you have to talk people in to being saved. And there's a lot of manipulation that goes on and a lot of pressure and guilt you feel when they don't come to know the Lord. But when we, we know that God just works faithfully to the means of grace, you just declare it. You just tell them this is the gospel. And, uh, and sometimes it hardens them and sometimes it softens them. And sometimes you, you haven't a clue what's going on. It just takes a while. It seems like there's nothing. But if God can save Saul, he can certainly save us. And he, hopefully he has. And he can save your friends. Also note that... Um, also note that part of what he's going to do is, is suffer. He's going to suffer for my name's sake. And that's a great honor to suffer for, for God. It's a great honor to suffer for the name of God. So we, we, we show this as we honor people that went out and fought for our country. Right? They go out and bear our name. They suffer for us, for, uh, for our nation, for the glory of the nation, for our protection, all that. Well, it, it's a great honor that he would suffer like Jesus. And he talks about the fellowship of, of sufferings that we have with Christ. And we always have to remember that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. There's no way getting away from this. You know, right now in the nation, it's, it's like a schizophrenic time. It's, it's just super strange. You see really encouraging things over here and really terrible things over there. And, you know, will, it, will there be some sort of conservative revival that slows down the rot? Um, or is this just a little pump of the brakes and we're about to dive into crazy times? I, I don't know. 
Um, but I know you need to be prepared to be persecuted, so put on the training wheels now. We always tell ourselves that we'll, when, like, when they're about to throw us into the shark tank or the lion's den or whatever, we'll stand firmly for God then. Um, but we're not now on the little things. But then we'll, we'll, we'll be for real. Yeah, we'll be ready. I mean, I'm not going to deny God then. What makes you think that? Right, so flex your muscles now. Be willing to step out there. And um, talk to your family members. Share the gospel with your friends. Don't hide your Christianity. Be willing to suffer a little now. Build up some strength. Work out that faith. That way in the day of of intense adversity, uh, that God has strengthened you to to finish well. Um, So then uh, verse 17. So Ananias uh, departed and entered the house. And after laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. I think that's my favorite part in this whole chapter. I, I just love it because he was trying to destroy the church. Everyone was scared of him. And he uh, is finding out that he's been on the wrong side of things. And this guy comes in. You know, Paul hasn't ate for three days. He can't see. He's had this incredible experience, but it had to be disturbing at some level. And this guy comes in and says, Brother Saul, right? the love of the brethren and the care. It, it is a weird thing to have. It's when you have a child, you start to understand uh, this. I remember when Hudson was born, I thought this is the first time I know for certain that I would kill for a stranger <laughs> just to protect them. I didn't know him. But he was, he was flesh and blood. He was my son. And there's an amazing fellowship between believers that were brought into this church and were united. And you sense it when you're with people that know God a lot of times. You think to yourself, I think this guy's a Christian. And so we see this, this wonderful love here. Um, I want to skip all the way down just for a second to uh, verse 26. When he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and how he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. The thing I want to point out here is how important other men are in our walk with Christ. I was thinking about this the other day. Someone asked me, how I knew all the things I knew, like I was some sort of genius. And I was like, just hang out with me in the afternoon. Watch me say words wrong or just miss entire words that should be in a sentence. I know that happens. I know I do that. Hang around, you'll find out I'm not a genius. But let me tell you, here's how I know this stuff. How I know this stuff is Jim Monig, uh, Brian Burse, Roger Webb. You don't know any of those people, right? No one does. Very few do. Um, then it would be Randy Warwick, Brian Nevins, then it would be Russell Smith, Tim Bailey, now we're getting somewhere, um, Stephen Baker, Max Carell, uh, David Bailey, Andrew Dion, and, and all sorts of other men. Men that were in my life. Men that loved me. Men that taught me. Men that shared things with me. Men that taught me how to read the Bible. Remember... Um, Jim Monig, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that he could even read, honestly. I think he just listened to the Bible on tape. And he just grew, I, I don't think he graduated middle school. 
Anyway, he's a much older man than me. And he's, Michael, you have to read chapter of the Bible every day. <laughs> you know? And Brian Burst told me the same thing. And they shaped me. They just poured into me. And I was thinking about how, yeah, maybe I didn't come from the best family. But church-wise, I've been blessed. I've been blessed. And think of the men that God has used you know, in your early Christianity, even how, how he's using men in your life now, men and women that are pouring into you. And be thankful. Be thankful for the church. We've got men like Barnabas. Everyone else is scared of Paul. Barnabas isn't. He's willing to get involved. And he gets involved. He says, this is who this guy is. Here's what's, no, you guys, you guys need to talk to this guy. And Ananias, brother Saul. The, the, the deep closeness of the church how we need to be in each other's lives, making disciples of one another, speaking to one another uh, God's word all the time, praying with one another. Let me give you a couple of challenges, just practical ones on this. Um, when someone tells you something terrible or difficult they're struggling with, offer to pray with them right, right then. I try to pray with people when they ask me to pray for them simply because there's a good chance I'll forget if we don't do it right away. And uh, in my, every time I tell my friend Eric something that's going wrong in my life, he says, let's pray. And it irritates me because I kind of just want to tell him what's wrong in my life and just keep going. But then he says, let's pray. And it right away centers me back on the Lord and, and reminds me what I should do. So that's one way you can be a help. Pray for one another. And, uh, and when someone asks you how you're doing, you know, if it's not too awkward, if service is about to start, just tell them the truth. It's been a kind of terrible week. And then when they say that, now you've started this. And you have to say, well, what's, what's going on? And listen to them and, and interact with them, encourage them, give them something from God's word. Um, we should be able to share God's word and not be obnoxious. You know what helps me? This verse has been helping me this week. Um, one reason I preached to you this morning from Zechariah 4 was as I looked at the conditions of things, I was uh, discouraged. So I had been reading Nehemiah and Ezra and all those, and they were encouraging to me and strengthening to me. So I thought, well, maybe this will be encouraging and strengthening to my church. And uh, so have something from God's word to share with people and be willing to pray. Be like Ananias and Barnabas. Invest in other people. Uh, so then also notice right after going to uh, verse 19, or yeah, 20 actually. Now for several days he was, uh, wow, that is a weird break in my Bible. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue saying he is the son of God. Right away. I, this is what I love about new Christians. I love when people first come to Christ and they just will not shut up. You know, they're intense and it's beautiful. Oh, that the Lord would keep us fresh, keep us excited, you know. Um, and then uh, you see what happens, uh, that uh, verse 22, he keeps increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now, word confounding, uh, Luke likes to use it. Uh, Jesus confounds them in Luke, uh, some of the uh, Sadducees in Luke's gospel. And Stephen, if you remember, was confounding them as well. And they just... They have, they can't say anything. You know, he's able to prove to them from Scripture. What he's showing is just he's walking out uh, Scripture and showing how Jesus fulfills that, how he is the Messiah. And he's making his case. And um, so we, we don't believe that you can argue someone into the faith per se. 
right? It's not like we have this scale, and if we get enough evidence over here, suddenly the person like is converted. That's not how it works. But we do believe that God works through uh, the means of his word. And you do want to grow uh, to be able to demonstrate from Scripture uh, the truth about God, the truth about Jesus and who he is. And as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the, the prophecies in Scripture are a great place to start. Uh, but just learning the whole narrative, I hate using that language, but the whole narrative of Scripture, the way 40 books, or excuse me, 66 books, 40 authors, different cultures, the way they all interlock, the beauty of it, I mean, it's very powerful. And so he, he's able to do that. He's proving uh, that Jesus is the Christ. And then, uh, so what do the Jews do? They want to join his church, right? No. They plot to do away with him. People hate the truth because they love their sin. And they have to create rationales to justify why they do what they do. And when we confront them with the truth, those rationales just disappear. And the fact that they're just rebels against God is laid bare. And no one likes being laid bare. And that is what he's doing as he proves to them that they are rebels against God. And so they, they want to put him to death. And you just got to come to terms with this. You're going to lose friends. You're going to be put at odds with family members if you continue to be faithful to God's word. There is no way to, invi- or to avoid conflict. So... I would encourage you not to always go out looking for a fight. If you're faithful, especially in this day and age, it'll find you. It will find you. There's plenty of it. But it's, it's a big part of um, what it means to be a Christian. We're at odds with the wor- world. There's a, a cosmic battle that's been going on uh, between rebellious man who wants to build up his own name, build his own kingdom, and, and the Lord, the king of the kings. The king of kings, whose his kingdom's coming in, and he's saying, bow a knee now or else. And uh, we're switch. if you're a Christian, you switch sides to the right side. You're not rebelling anymore. But we are really, there is um, a battle happening, and you see it. So anyway, then you also see the um, same thing happens down in uh, verse 29. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. And there's this idea that you always find among people that they think that there's a magical way to say truth that won't upset people sometimes. There's like this magical tone, or if you just couch it the right way, put a compliment on the front end, a compliment on the back end, um, and that... uh, you know, just have a kinder, gentle, gentle approach or something like that, and then and people won't ever get upset. Um, but all you got to do is just stop, just, just be warm in your tone and say the truth, and people still will get upset. And uh, so don't, don't hate pastors. Don't hate other Christians who are willing to make enemies. Um, if everyone speaks well of you, you're probably a heretic. You judge men by their friends and their enemies both. You should have friends. Right? Paul did. He got friends pretty quick. You know, it was a dicey relationship with Ananias at first, but Brother Saul. And then Barnabas. And you see, you should have friends. There's wonderful fellowship we have. And I think of some of the Christians I run into, you know, people that visit your church and they have like 40 questions for you. 
And that's cool. But when they start getting into like homeschool curriculum and what, what exact exceptions we allow on the Sabbath, I start to know what I'm dealing with. And I'm a Sabbatarian. Right? I, I very much am. Um, and, and I can think of people that they have like a hundred, like a hundred things you have to check off the box for them to join your church. And recently, in the last, we'll say, six months, I had a conversation and I said, so where have you been going? What church have you been at? And this person described what they were looking for. And I knew in my head that didn't exist. That wasn't a real church. It was the church of his mind, right? Well, where have you been going? Well, that's the thing. We've had a hard time finding a church. And I said, had, have you considered it doesn't exist? Um, and he was like, what? No, we just, we're just going to keep going from church to church as if that's good for him and his family. Um, so look, we've we got to learn to argue and fight about the right things. And uh, Paul, look what Paul's always preaching. He's always preaching Christ and him crucified. He's always preaching sin, repentance, grace. There is a, a primacy we need to have. And especially nowadays, we see people arguing about second tier all the way down to eighth tier sort of issues. And a friend of mine was telling me he was at a barbecue and they were debating whether or not they'd let their daughter marry a dispensationalist. Sounds very Baptist, Reformed Baptist to me. And he said, well, guys, honestly, I would let someone, um, I'd let a, a manly dispensationalist marry my daughter, a man who feared God and actually could lead her and take care of that family. I'd let him marry my daughter way before I'd let some effeminate, you know, Reformed Baptist that's confessional down the line. And I think he's getting... He's understanding that you, you need to be able to make some pretty, uh, use some discernment at this time and what we're going to be dividing over. And then at the end, uh, you see, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. So that's, that's kind of a bookend because this is following um, the, the martyrdom of, of Stephen and the persecution that spread the church out all throughout uh, the, the region around Jerusalem and Israel. And so now there's this great peace. So God takes one of the key persecutors, converts him, humbles him, and puts him into the body. And now he's out there preaching the gospel and the church is being built up. And since I've been, even at this church, I've watched our church go through, you go through periods where... Every once in a while I think, I know it doesn't work this way. I'm like, it's been quiet for a while, so what's about to happen? You go through periods of, of conflict and peace, difficulty and peace. And, uh, and God, God often grows us through these really painful challenges. And he does that to the church. And here is the church enjoying peace and being built up. That's what I like. I, what I like uh, what I see happening now that makes me very happy at Trinity is that there is a lot of peace and unity and, and that allows for us to be built up in the Lord, to grow. And I want to exhort you to work very hard to maintain the bond of peace, to be thoughtful in what you fight over. What you fight over here, what you fight over in meetings, it's not about falling in line. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but it's just being thoughtful. Work, work to love one another, hear, hear one another out, to imp- import the best motives, to, to chew on something for a bit. And, and then God will bless us and we'll continue to grow in him. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much.
that you can save, that you're willing to save terrible people like us, terrible people like Saul. We haven't drugged Christians off to jail, but we have despised your law. We have despised your goodness. We have despised your name. So we thank you that you've brought us into your family and now we are bearers of your name and we bring your name out into the world and declare your glory. We pray you would embolden us to do so, that we would be like Paul, that we would love the church, that we would um, be like Barnabas, that we would uh, build up and encourage other Christians and that we would be able to argue from scripture and show that your son is the son of God, that Jesus is the Messiah. We pray that that would give this church great peace and build us up. In your son's name we pray. Amen.